I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan. Seasonal allergies impact millions of children every year, making them feel miserable, disrupting their sleep, and even causing more serious problems for both them and their parents. How can we help our kids when allergies strike? In this pediatric chat, we'll talk to Dr. McGee DeFelice, Division Chief of the Division of Pediatric Allergy and Immunology at Nemours. McGee will help us answer some of these questions. If you have a question about this topic, we invite you to send it to us on the question portal of our webpage so we can post a follow-up response. As always, for our discussion, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Paul Rosen. Hello, Paul. Hello, Jay. McGee, welcome to Pediatric Chat. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me today. So, McGee, how common are environmental allergies? Environmental allergies, whether that's indoor allergies or outdoor allergies, affect anywhere between 10 to 30 percent of adults and about 40 percent of children in the United States. Mm. It is estimated that about 2 million school days per year are lost in the United States due to symptoms that are related to environmental allergies. We're recording this in the beginning of spring, really. You're seeing a lot of action now? We do. It's very busy this time of year. We're seeing tree pollen, and when we start to see a rise in tree pollen, we'll see a rise in our visits for patients complaining of nose symptoms and eye symptoms related to the increase in the tree pollen. So for kids with allergy, I know that most of us think of it as a runny nose and some sneezing. Other symptoms that kids have typically with allergies? Nasal congestion, coughing are two of the big complaints that we get. And allergies, one way that you can tell because you can get nasal congestion and coughing with a cold, you can tell if it's allergies by looking at whether or not the patient has a fever. So if the child has a fever, then it's more likely going to be some type of infection or cold. Whereas with allergies, we don't typically see a fever. With allergies, patients tend to be very itchy. So itchy nose, itchy eyes, rubbing a lot. Even if they don't complain about itching, you'll find that you'll see them rubbing their nose or their eyes because they don't even realize that they're itchy. And that's a little bit different usually than when a patient has a cold. With both allergies and colds, you can see sneezing. But with a cold, you'll sneeze here and there, whereas with allergies, children or adults will sneeze multiple times in a row. It's more that repetitive sneezing that we see with allergies. Is there an age where this sort of kicks in, or can it be very young children, and when should I seek help from my doctor? It's a really good question because you need exposure to an allergen to be able to develop an allergy to it or develop symptoms to it. So children under the age of two, it's not impossible to see allergies, but it's a little bit less likely that you would see allergies to things in the environment. And under the age of two, we wouldn't expect any type of pollen allergy because the child hasn't been through enough seasons or seen enough pollen and been exposed enough to develop an allergy or symptoms to that. So typically we would wait until after the age of two for allergy testing for the outdoor allergens like grass or ragweed or tree pollen. For indoor allergens, especially if you have a child has eczema or atopic dermatitis, that's an exception where we do very early testing um, for dust mite or if there's a dog or a cat in the house, we would test for dog and cat. But in that case, we're looking more for an atopic dermatitis or rash related to the allergen rather than the nasal symptoms and the eye symptoms. So sometimes we do allergy testing for environmentals even in infants, and it's safe to do that. It depends a little bit on what question we're asking. And McGee, can you tell us about some of the testing you do in your office? Testing for allergies in general, skin testing is the best test to decide what a person is allergic to. And that's for environmental allergies as well as for food allergies. In the case of skin testing, we apply a very small amount of the allergen in question to the skin, 
make a very small prick. If the person's allergic to that allergen, it will come up as a small hive. It only takes about 20 to 30 minutes to get an answer to what you're allergic to, and it's very sensitive, very specific for allergies. There are a low number of false negatives and false positives. If you get a negative, then you don't have to worry that you're allergic to that allergen. And the skin testing, it's more accurate than the blood testing? It is. Blood testing can be done for most types of allergies now, but unfortunately, you can get a lot of false positives. So you may think that you're allergic to something and change your life or change your child's life unnecessarily because it was a a false positive. So we worry a lot about false positives and someone avoiding something unnecessarily because it came up positive in the blood. If blood testing was sent, we can always do confirmatory testing with the skin test. But of the two, the skin test is much preferred and much more believable. And McGee, once you make the diagnosis, what does the treatment plan look like? It depends. It's very individualized depending on is it all year round? So are you allergic to dog or cat or dust mite versus is this something that's seasonal? Is it pollen, whether it's tree or weed, ragweed, grass? So we need to make a decision based on Is this something that's a treatment that we need to put in place year-round or more seasonally? The nice thing about indoor allergies, if you have to have allergies, is that there are things we can do to cut down the exposure, whereas with outdoor allergies, we more have to treat for those because in that case, you can't always avoid the allergen. And to have a good quality of life, we tend to need to use medication. For children who have allergies that are very disruptive to their quality of life, if they're on multiple medicines and still not feeling well, or even if they are and they don't want to be on medicines or the family doesn't want the child to be on year-round medicines or needing four or five medicines to get through lacrosse, we also can do allergy shots. And that's a way to change the immune system and teach the immune system to not be as allergic anymore. It's called tolerance. And you can teach the immune system to not overreact to these allergens anymore. And how often do you give the allergy shots and how do the kids uh, react to getting recurrent shots? There can be variation in the schedule. So depending on the specific circumstances and how far away the the patient may live, we're able to individualize things depending on the circumstances. But in general, we start out with weekly shots. And sometimes it's just one injection. Sometimes it's two or three, depending on how many things the child is allergic to. We start with doing those shots weekly. As time goes by, for most patients, we're able to get them to a point where they're only getting the shots every other week. And then for a lot of people, we can move it to every third week. And then a good number of our patients are able to get to a point where they only need the shots once a month. And children do really well with the allergy injections. They're small needles, so it's nothing like getting a a regular vaccine or a booster shot. When you start to see the improvement, it really does, it really is worth it. And also, it's okay to take medicines during that time. And we encourage our patients to take an antihistamine, and that can help with discomfort. They can be done in adulthood and childhood. But one reason to think about allergy shots and possibly giving them in childhood rather than waiting is because there is research that shows that for a child who has not yet developed asthma or is um, going to develop asthma, if we treat the allergies with allergy shots or allergen immunotherapy, we may be able to prevent that child from developing asthma. Because if you treat when the patient's an adult, then you've missed that window to help with the preventative side. It will still work very well, and it will still treat the allergy symptoms and could help with allergy-induced asthma, but it wouldn't be preventative the way that it can be preventative for children. You've mentioned a couple times asthma. So is asthma always allergy-related, and how often? There's a definite link, especially in childhood. It's about 50%, possibly even higher, of children who have asthma 
will also be sensitive to allergens in the environment. So with asthma, you generally treat both the asthma and the allergy? It's very, really important to do that. If you're allergic to something that you're constantly being exposed to, and it's flaring your asthma, you'll never get the asthma as well treated as it should be if you're not also treating the exposure, whether it's by reducing the exposure to that allergen or giving medications for that or or treating with allergy shots. And you've talked some about medications. I know there's a lot on the market. I mean, what's a parent supposed to do and where to start? I'm a little bit biased here because I am an allergist, but I have to say that if you think that your child has allergic symptoms, they're itchy, they're sneezing, whether it's seasonal or year-round, it's a good idea for us to test and make sure that it is an allergen because there are so many different things that can cause a child to have these types of symptoms. It's good to be sure of what we're treating. And based on whether or not we're seeing positive testing for allergies, we can make good recommendations on which medicines would be most helpful. Yeah. There are some patients who will have some symptoms that are related to allergies, but then sometimes they'll have symptoms that are related to getting a lot of viruses in the wintertime or irritation and inflammation related to the change in the seasons. And in that case, that patient would probably require more than an over-the-counter oral antihistamine because those types of medications will only treat allergies, but a lot of our patients will have more than just allergies going on. So Mm. we need to treat the allergy and the non-allergy at the Mm. same time. And there are other medicines that might do a better job than the antihistamine alone. And so in addition to sort of liquid medicine, um, do you, uh, can you tell us about some of the nasal sprays and what they do? There are a lot of options now, and some that used to be prescription are recently over-the-counter. There are some that are medicines that can be used every day and need to be used on a more daily basis, and those are the nasal steroids. They're very similar to inhalers that are used some of the inhalers that are used for asthma, and those are anti-inflammatory type medicines and are going to be helpful to bring down inflammation related to allergies, but also related to recurrent infections or other things that are non-allergic that can cause inflammation in the nasal airway. And then there are some medicines that it's an antihistamine, almost like an oral antihistamine, but it's in a spray form to use right in the nose. And those work the same day and, and really within half hour, hour or so, you can start getting relief from that. Whereas the daily anti-inflammatories take a little bit of time to start working typically and need more often use to work properly. Nasal saline, although it's salt water, can also be really helpful if Mm. it's used to wash out the pollen and to keep the nasal tissues moist and, and more normal looking. Are there hints that you give families about keeping the home clean and certain types of air conditioning or other things to prevent the pollen from coming in? I think we all have some reaction to it. Is there any Mm -hmm. good tips you can give us? For pollen, some of the things that are important to remember, the first thing is that we really want to make sure that the child is enjoying a normal life and a high quality of life. So we don't want to be in a situation where a child can't go out for recess or can't play sports or you know, feels that they have to spend high pollen count days, which we have a lot of, um, inside. So we want to make sure that we're taking care of the allergies so that we're able to treat through that or find a way to make things better for them so that they can be outside. Now, when you do come in from being outside, if you have allergies, the pollen's going to be on you. So it's really important once you come in to change out of the clothes, if possible, even shower, take a bath. So getting the pollen removed and, and decreasing that exposure. So you don't want the pollen exposure to keep going inside the house once you're in. So um, we would have a child at least you know change their clothes, wash their face. That's where the nasal saline can be helpful because it'll wash the pollen out a mm. little bit of the nose. And what we say is, no matter how tired you are, just never go into the house and just get into bed with all that pollen because we don't want anyone sleeping at night covered in pollen. Mm. And now there's pollen in the bed. Do your best to remove that. The old have them take a shower routine. Yeah. So easy to do. (laughs) 
And what about living in different parts of the country? Can you tell us about algae problems in different regions? You really can't get away from allergens, unfortunately. So we do get that question where people ask about the possibility of changing their geographic location if they move to the desert or going to the shore where there's maybe less tree pollen. Um, would it make some sort of difference? And the short answer is no. And there, it's a little bit complicated, though, where it depends on what you're allergic to. Um, but in general, anywhere you go, you're going to have the potential of having an allergen that gives you trouble. And even if when you get to a geographic location, you're not allergic to the allergens there, if you have a history of allergies over time, it's likely that you're going to become sensitized and allergic to the new allergen. Mm. So that's why people eventually will probably develop symptoms, even if they're better when they first move. Do kids grow out of this or are there long-term issues with allergies that you know about? With allergies, it's a little bit unpredictable. Sometimes we can tell by what the skin testing looks like, how many allergies the patient has, family history, if a child may or may not be more likely to outgrow it. But it's, it is something that can persist into adulthood. And the flip side of that is if you are an adult and you didn't have any allergy symptoms as a kid, it's very possible to develop allergies. So you can be an adult and, and if you're starting to have allergy type symptoms, it's a good idea to speak with a physician about that because you can develop them you know, in your 20s or 30s. The distribution is early in childhood and then again in early adulthood where we see a lot of people developing allergy symptoms. It seems like if you have allergies running in your family, mm. you're more prone to get allergies. Is there an understanding of any of the genetics behind having allergies? There's definitely genetic predisposition. So you, you do have a higher chance if there are allergies in the family. And if we find that if we have parents who needed allergy shots and allergy shots worked well for them, then that's probably something that's going to be true for the child as well. There are exceptions, not in all cases. And we do definitely have children where there's no family history of allergies and they um, benefit from allergies allergy testing and treatment. So there is a genetic link, but it's not always there. It's come up a lot in the news is this prevention from getting allergies in the first place. You know, you're new, you have a newborn. Is there anything a mom you would advise them to do to sort of set them up for the best chance of not having allergies later on? Is there any way to prevent this? It's a tough question to answer, but uh, a good one. The one thing I would say is that this goes back to the idea of the hygiene hypothesis, which is from the 80s. And the idea is that we've really, especially in industrialized countries, we've gotten to a point where we're really careful about our exposure to bacteria and different germs in the environment. And we use a lot of antibacterial soap and we're really careful about exposures. And all of the research that we see now with food allergies, but allergies in general, is showing us that exposure to germs when they're not necessarily harmful to us is good for our immune system because our immune system learns the difference between this is foreign to me, but it's harmful, and this is foreign to me, but I'm not going to have a reaction to it. So just as an example, if a parent was saying, if everyone wants a dog, and the only reason that you're considering not having an animal in the house, a dog or a cat in the house, is because of germs, it wouldn't be a good decision to, to not get the animal for that reason. We find that if a dog is living in the house, it may actually decrease the chance of being allergic to certain things. And there has been research done where children who live on farms, because they get exposed to so many different types of allergens, may have less of a chance of developing allergies or asthma because their bodies learn very early to tell the difference between something that's foreign and harmful versus foreign and not harmful to them. So you mentioned allergies to dogs and cats. So if your child, you know, is discovered to be allergic to dogs, does that mean that rules out ever having a dog or are there certain breeds that are tolerable? There are different animals, different dogs, different cats can give off a different amount of allergen, but it's very individualized and it's very difficult to predict. 
So before you brought a dog or cat into the house, you wouldn't really be able to know how your child would react to the dog or cat if they are allergic. There are different degrees of allergy as well. And skin testing is really a guide. It's letting us know if there's potential for a reaction there. So depending on the size, depending on the history, it's possible that you could have a small positive skin test and be completely fine around a dog or a cat. Or it's possible that it could flare the asthma and you know, really be a problem. So with each patient, it might be a slightly different discussion. But if there has been positive testing for a dog or cat, you would definitely want to see an allergist before bringing an animal into the house to talk more about it. And I guess you get into the situation where it becomes a conversation about helping the child with the allergies versus removing the family pet out of the home. I really don't like to be the person that has to give that advice because unfortunately, if you have a a child who's highly allergic to an animal and the animal is in the house, even if you keep the child's door shut or washing the animal a lot or or doing some of the other things where we try to decrease the amount of hair and dander that the, the dog and cat might be giving off, their dander is airborne for both, but especially for cat dander, it's very, very small and and fluffy. It doesn't really settle. You can go into a house where there hasn't been any disturbance or anyone walking around for a couple of weeks and you'll find cat dander in the air. It's so ubiquitous really that about 80% or even higher of homes in America, you'll be able to find cat dander, Mm. even if a cat has never lived in the house. And that's because people carry it on them. And then once it's in your house, it's airborne. When there is a cat living in the home, if you do decide that the best thing is finding the animal a new home, it takes about four to six months with regular cleaning for all of the dander to go away. And dog dander, although it's not quite as small and and airborne, it's still pretty similar. So unfortunately, if you're allergic to a dog or a cat and they're living in the house, it's just very hard to protect yourself from the dander. And the only research-proven sure way to no longer have reactions would be to, to find the animal a new home. The other thing that we have done that we can do, so we have patients where they want to become a vet or they just love animals to the point where removal of the animal or not having that animal is not an option. Another example would be one of our patients who is really allergic to horses and he has a history of autism and uses horse therapy as part of his care plan for autism. And it was really important that he be able to be around horses. And in those cases, we can do allergy shots and we can cut down on the amount that the body is sort of overreacting to the animal. So it is possible to help someone with medicines or with allergy shots. That's great. So I know the scratch tests don't hurt as much as people say they they might. There's some fear of that. And I know the shots don't hurt as much either. And these Mm -hmm. are both acceptable. Are there long-term changes coming to the therapies we give? We've heard about some medication you take orally to prevent allergies. Is there anything you see on the horizon for folks? Yes, there is a way to now do a treatment similar to an allergy shot where you would take it by mouth instead. So you would take it orally rather than needing to get the shots. Right now, some of those are approved in in adults, some are approved in children. Most of the time, though, that would be to treat one allergen rather than multiple allergens, Mm. um, whereas a lot of our patients would require treatment for multiple allergens at one time. The research is ongoing, and I think we'll continue to have more options like that. But right now, it's one of the drawbacks of doing the treatment that way is just that you, you may not be able to treat everything that the child is allergic to. This has been excellent. I, we've learned so much. So well, you start off, McGee, by saying that um, so many days are missed in school because mm-hmm. of this. And uh, one of my take-home messages is that with good care from an allergist, that shouldn't happen. We should be able to control this. 
still keep the kids playing outside and involved in sports. It shouldn't be debilitating. And you just have to take the steps necessary to get the best of care so that that doesn't happen. Is that a good take home? Exactly. My feeling is that if we have a child who isn't able to play sports or isn't able to have a normal quality of life that we haven't done our job as far as finding all the things that they're allergic to and and coming up with the correct management plan for them. So we can definitely help if a child is not able to live their normal quality of life. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Pediatric Chat. We've learned a lot and had a great time. Great. Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future Pediatric Chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more Pediatric Chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.